All right, guys, we are now recording. This is Keenan. How are you? You are welcome to The Word, a sales jolt, where we deliver real-life sales information, uh, tactics, strategy, and insights to help you do your job, crush it in quota, and we don't do it in a boring, old-school, buttoned-up way. If you don't like the F-bomb, you may want to turn us off now. You never know when it's going to come. But if you actually want to learn something that you can apply, this is where you need to be. And today I'm excited. But first, let me start by introducing my co-host, Kiki Kira Moore. How are you doing, Kiki? Oh, did I freeze during that whole thing? You said I'm excited to bring our first, and then cut. Oh, cut and out. I said before I do that, let me introduce our host, Kiki. So, Kiki, how are you, sister? I'm fantastic. Uh, we've got a really good book here designed not only for it's like kind of your life self-help book, but definitely we're going to gear it towards sales and being successful in business. And I'm excited to pick Mark's brain. Good, good. We're talking about the brain today, which we which we seem to have done a lot. Having Art Mark, and let's just jump right in by introducing the author of your your survival instinct is killing you, right here. Great book, um, Mark Schoen, PhD. Mark talks about how our survival instinct is not faring too well in this new world of where we should be comfortable all the time. So let me just jump in, Mark. Welcome and thank you for being here. Yes, thank you for your interest. Appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Look, it's a great concept. So rather than me blow it, why don't you start by telling everybody, what is this idea that our survival and things are supposed to be protecting us are actually killing us? Yeah, exactly. We have this mechanism, the survival instinct is what I call it, and it's meant to protect us. And in old, more primitive times, it was there to protect us in those situations where there was genuine physical threat. But in today's times, most of us, thankfully, aren't being physically confronted. Yet, this survival instinct is going off in situations that have no physical threat at all. And the way I think about it is that we live in a society that's so technologically advanced, giving us so much more comfort than ever before, with the end result is that we now feel less and less comfortable dealing when we're not comfortable. In other words, we're less tolerant of being uncomfortable. The end result is the less comfortable we feel, the more the survival instinct goes off. So this is interesting. So if I use a metaphor, can I say this? Is it sort of like putting a glove on your hand and never taking it off, right? And then make it say it's a, it's a, a thin glove. And then you put a thicker glove on and a chain mail. And then you put the whole thing wrapped in, in, um, like metal, and then you take it out, and everything and anything makes it uncomfortable. Like anything touches it, it's been so protected that it's overly sensitive to everything. Is that what is that what you're sort of saying? We're doing that to ourselves. That is a wonderful, wonderful analogy. <laughs> That's a good. One. <laughs> uh, I will borrow that from you. That's a good one. Uh, drop the mic. Yes, good. <laughs> You're absolutely right. We become overly sensitive. And what's the end result? Is that things that should never be a threat to us or upset us now become a threat. Someone cutting in line, someone hurting our feelings, being late to a meeting, 
Now, our survival instinct or fear response was never meant to be going off for situations like that. All right. So what you're saying is, what I'm hearing is this idea of our survival instinct. If again, let me make a let me make a suggestion. Tell me if I'm right or wrong. It sounds like that as human beings, we our survival instincts have to be going off. They are not okay laying dormant. So sort of like a cancer looking for a cell to invade, if there aren't really big things to make our survival instinct go up, it's going to keep moving upstream to find something else to trigger, something else to trigger. Is that what you're saying? Yes. In, in other words, it, it doesn't just stop where it's needed. It just keeps on going to situations that have no value for it to be in place. So rejection, I mean, being rejected by someone else or being turned down or someone not returning our calls or texts, that shouldn't be a threat to us. But in today's times, it has become one. Why? Why does our survival instinct constantly look to trigger itself? Why is it happy saying, hey, yo, there's no lion, there's no saber-toothed tigers, there's no dude down the way with a billy club, I'm chill. I'm feeling good right now. I'm going to take a vacation. Why does it not do that? Well, what happens is that we have a part of the brain that's called the limbic system. And the limbic system's goal, it's an older part of the brain, its goal is to keep us out of danger. And so it's black and white. We're either safe or we're not safe. And so it can't be logical. It can't say, oh, you know, I shouldn't be upset about having to speak in front of a lot of people or someone being insensitive to me, what it does, it says, oh my, I'm in danger. And when it feels like I, it's in danger, it pushes this fear button and it ignites this big powerful response in the body that's not logical, it's emotional, it's visceral, and we aren't able to placate it with positive thinking. Okay, so, so it's involuntary, I'm, right? It's involuntary, is that correct? Correct. Okay, so if it's involuntary, how is it defining danger? Because as I'm hearing you talk, and we started with this idea, like you said, and I loved how you put it, physical safety is no, most of the time is no longer an issue, right? But yet, it's still firing off. So what is causing it to, I'm going to be moving it upstream. Say, okay, well, physical safety isn't the problem, but I still have to, I, I still need a job, right? I feel like it's that guy who, who wants to make sure he has a job all the time. He's going to go find something else to do. So it feels like, all right, well, hey, I got to do something. I'm, I'm here. I'm going to work. What is it causing it to redefine this idea of fear to make speaking or being rejected fearful now? Yes, here's how it works. We have a certain level of what I call adjutants. It's a sense of activation in the body at all times. And it's sort of like an inner thermostat. So like, you know, we have our, our normal body temperature is 98.6. And let's say it goes up to 99. Well, we're starting to feel a little uncomfortable, but, you know, we're okay. But it starts getting above 100, but we start feeling really uncomfortable, physically uncomfortable. It's harder to focus, we're tired, maybe a little more irritable. Well, essentially, once this inner temperature goes up in us, it crosses a certain threshold. And when it crosses this threshold, it then triggers this survival instinct. So that's what it is. It's a measure of how uncomfortable we are. And when it crosses what I call this discomfort threshold, 
boom, this survival instinct goes off, and then we are subject to these very primitive instincts. Ah, so it's all relative. And we're going to switch here to the impact of this. So the idea is relative. It's not as much that I'm, it's, it's, safe, uh, it's physically safe, not physically safe. It's the idea that said, if my system is constantly um, threatened by physical force, or physical pain, the body is reacting to that. It doesn't have time, or in relative terms, it doesn't see being rejected as a, as a, as a problem because it's too focused on the physical piece. Is that sort of is it relative? Is that what you're saying? Well, see, discomfort can come from a physical means or an emotional means. The body doesn't really distinguish. So, yes, it could be like we're physically uncomfortable, but we can feel very emotionally uncomfortable. Let's say we're interested in someone liking us or we're fearful of being rejected or we're giving a, a big presentation and we don't want to be judged harshly. All that contributes to discomfort in the body, let alone us all being sort of you know, jacked up from technology, text messaging, the needs for instant gratification, perfection, all these things raise our level of internal discomfort. And once it crosses again that discomfort threshold, the fear instinct goes off. Interesting. Interesting. All right. So let's talk about, so now that we know we're getting faster, right? where we're getting uncomfortable. And, and I like, you have a phrase in your book called, you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And I want to talk about that in a minute. I talk about that all the time. But before we do that, talk a little bit about about the impact, how our body responds to this. There was a quote in the book, a piece of love that said, mind and body's reaction to internal and external influences that can perpetuate chronic health conditions and other annoying and lingering symptoms. So basically you're saying is that the creation between what, how our mind perceives things affects how our body reacts. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, in terms of physical conditions and illnesses, are, are you asking the question? Yes, absolutely. The major theory right now of aging, disease, and health is called the inflammation theory. And inflammation theory is essentially that our immune system goes haywire. In other words, we start producing far more immune cell soldiers than we need. And the end result is that we, it's like having a bunch of Marines in the bleacher stadium, in bleachers at Dodger Stadium, all drinking beer. Inevitably, there's going to be a fight. <laughs> and so what happens is that these uh, Marine or immune soldiers, rather than fighting a real pathogen or infection, they start fighting the body and chewing up organs. So here's the key part. So as our discomfort level goes up and we poorly manage it, and the survival instinct is being triggered far more often, we produce more inflammation, more immune soldiers, and more decaying of the body. And that creates physical illness. Interesting. All right, so it, it, you have folks, you need to get this. We're talking about your survival instinct is killing you by Mark Schoen. You need to get this. It's a fascinating read, especially if you're into how the brain works, the impact of the connection between your mind and your body. Look, I know there's a lot of people out there that are into Eastern medicine. They talk all the time about the mind and body, and, and I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert, but there's some interesting uh, scientific, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, scientific 
knowledge, background, whatever the word is, research, scientific research behind this, that shows there is actually real connection. So get it. So go get it. With that said, Mark, how does this idea affect? How do we take this into business, right? How does this idea of being uncomfortable affect people in the business world, in their life, when they're trying to accomplish the things they want to accomplish? Yeah, it's a, it's a spot-on question because if we are reacting to the world more fearfully or in a more guarded way, the effect is, is that we take positions in our life that we play it safe. In other words, we don't pursue possibilities, even if they have a great chance of success, we're more concerned about limiting our losses than pursuing our gains. So it holds us back. And another way to think about it, just from the brain standpoint, is when this fear area is going off in the brain, it essentially just steals the blood supply from the other part of the brain that's logical, that's reasonable, that's intuitive, that can be spontaneous. It's kind of like electrical power grid that just losing all its juice. And so after a while, lights start going on in buildings, air conditioning stops working, and maybe you only have one room that's lit up. And that's what happens when we're in these pressure and competitive situations that we're not managing well. Interesting. All right, so so you talk about, one of the things you talk about in the book is the idea of making decisions under stressful times that this can prevent you from doing it. Talk a little bit about that, and then talk a little bit more about some of the, what I want people to do is I want people to be able to start self-diagnosing, not... You know, and I don't want people to stop walking around saying, oh, I'm depressed, whatever. But start thinking about self-assess. Let's take diagnosis out. I'm a big fan of personal self-assessment. And I like to do these because I want people who are listening to be on their drive or sitting at their desk to start thinking inwardly and say, oh, wait a minute. I could be doing that. I can fix that. Or oh, I just learned this. I can change. So if you're, if someone's a salesperson, but someone is a, a manager, a leader, if someone, doesn't matter what they do, and they're sitting at their desk and they're trying to determine what is a healthy fear versus could I be uncomfortable being uncomfortable? How do they start to assess that? How can they, what should they start looking at? Well, you're right. This is such a big deal in terms of sales because we're having to put ourselves out there, you know, much more than ever. And since we are a social animal, in other words, we learned very early on as a primitive being that there was strength in numbers. In other words, People make a difference to us. And so early on, we learn that if we're rejected, well, then our chances of survival are limited or hurt or harmed. So even to today, we still have that need. We don't want to be rejected. We don't want to be hurt. And sadly, that old instinct over controls our actions. So what we need to do is make it so that these old primitive reactions of rejection and fear no longer press the fear response. So how do we do it? We start retraining that part of the brain to react to these kind of situations without fear. All right, so we talk about fear, right? This idea of fear. So I'm, I'm really pissing people off here, I'm sure. But so I read a study recently that said Republicans are far more fearful than Democrats. And the minute you said, you started, it's made me think about this when you started talking about the idea of fear of change is something that the outcome far outweigh not moving, but people don't move. 
right? Is this the idea you're talking about? So when you've got, let's say, Trump supporters who don't want to change anything or want to get America back the way they are they operating from this very thing that you're talking about, generally speaking? Appealing to people's fears is very, very powerful. You don't have to be logical. You don't have to be rational. You don't have to show data. All you have to do is appeal to people's fears, and then you can basically move them. But sadly, oh, keep going, keep going. Yeah, but sadly, that doesn't create change. It 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 actually shrinks who we're capable of being. It, to be all that we're capable of being involves changing that fear response, shrinking it down to the space it deserves rather than expanding it into the brain and taking up a bigger part of us where it serves no good purpose. Okay, so how, how tell people, go a little deeper. I asked this question, I got a sidetrack because I couldn't help but think about all the people who are operating from fear in this world because I've been saying it for a while. People are scared of everything, everything. And fighting it is driving me insane because I find myself trying to fight it. I got three little girls when I grew up you know, it, I grew up in the age where it's like, make sure you come home and the streetlights go off, right? And I'm trying to make that happen for my girls, but the fear in me is crazy. So, quick said, I took you to your fear test. Kiki, if you could put this up, this would be great. Um, it's not your fear test, but are, is your survival instinct killing you? Here's a test to tell you how perceptive, perceptible you are to your survival instinct taking over, right? I took it, I got an 18. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. It said I'm perceptible to it. I don't know if that said I am. So I have no way to compare it. I'll give him some, I'll give him some marketing lessons later because, Mark, you can do much better with that test. That's a whole different discussion. Uh, how can people self-assess? Right? How, how can someone know when they're in an unhealthy level of fear or when they're, let's use your term, when their survival instinct is playing a bigger role in their lives than it should? That's an excellent question. One way is we find that we are taking less risk, that we're thinking more about what could go wrong than what could go right. Mm -hmm. We find ourselves avoiding situations. For example, let's say there's an important meeting we need to go to. Well, we, we make an excuse, you know, I'm not feeling well. Or let's say we need to make a presentation. Oh, we've, we've tried to find someone else who will make that presentation for us, or even make a call for us. Uh, we find ourselves getting sick even in, in times that things that we should be doing. Uh, or we find ourselves pulling back, you know, not reaching out as much, uh, staying home more often. We find ourselves obsessing about negative things, or being angry more, or finding ourselves being frustrated more. Okay. Getting irritated more. So I'm gonna I'm gonna lean into you here, okay? And the reason I'm gonna lean in is I like this, right? Right. One of my my favorite things is please define that, right? People define the same thing differently, right? So in this case, I can already imagine most listeners, particularly those who are suffering most from their survival instincts taking over, actually trying to tell you or trying to tell themselves that these are rational, real fears and not their survival instinct. So where do you draw the line, right? So in other words, someone says, oh, well, uh, I have a boss that I'm afraid to talk to at work, or I'm not really negative, but the world really is this bad. How do you get them to, to say, okay, wait, this is overreaction, and 
this is perfectly in the, the safe space, if you will. Does that make sense? Yes, it is a good question. I would look at something objective that you can look at. Look at what your body is feeling. For example, you notice like when you take your example, if you have a, a boss that you're just really fearful of conflict with, perhaps he or she's negative, mean, or caustic, whatever, and as you think about this person, even when you're not with them, does your heartbeat kick up? Do you find yourself getting angry? Do you find yourself obsessing about this person? Do you find yourself thinking of inside stories, you know, we call soliloquize, you know, running through different scenarios of you saying this, then I would say this. Do you find yourself trying to avoid this person more than you should? These are ways to really look at it in a more reasonable way to assess it. Okay. Because, All right. Well, sorry. One more thing. The truth is because, yeah, we're going to meet people we're uncomfortable with, but they should not make us scared or feel threatened. That is pushing something irrational in us. That is the fear center. We might not like them. We may feel uncomfortable with them, but unless they're going to try to kill us or shoot us or, you know, push us out a window. They are not in fact to us. Okay. So you, you have a couple of things here. So I like this. And, and I'm going to come back to this in a minute. When we get to the how do we fix it. But I, what I want to sort of summarize for everybody here is self-assessment is critical. And I'm, and I'm convinced there's a, there's a second book here that, that someone needs to write, or I'm going to freaking write, about self-assessment and self-awareness and the ability to really uh, to assess who you are and where you are and do that openly and honestly, honestly objectively as possible. Because... What Mark just said is powerful, but if you're not willing to really take that solid look at yourself and be honest with yourself, you're going to get to your own conclusions, and you're going to answer the wrong way to all of them to fit your narrative, and it's not going to help. Mark can't help you. A shrink can't help you. I can't help you. Nobody can help you. Is that true? Would you agree with that, Mark? Yes, assessment is so critical. And, and you know, here's and it's what's so hard for us, right? We were wired from the very beginning to avoid the discomfort because discomfort meant that something physically bad would happen to us. So right away, anytime we feel any discomfort, we are driven to avoid it. So it can totally misguide us. Interesting. Interesting. All right. So you say a couple of things here that I think are really interesting. You say that checking email and texts feel like toxic reaction in our body um, or compulsively checking them. You say react, re relaxation can actually be hazardous to our health. You say that survival insect may major cause of epidemic challenges as overeating and substance abuse, uh, insomnia, anxiety. The first I thought were really interesting though. Take a minute to tell us why compulsively checking email is uh, can create a toxic relationship with our body and relaxation can be hazardous to our health. Ah, uh, okay. Well, remember earlier I was talking to you about our internal thermostat. How, you know, the body resonates at a certain temperature. And then once it exceeds that temperature, it crosses its threshold, and then the fear response goes off. Well, there are certain things in our life that raise that internal temperature in us. And one of them happens to be all this technology and the overuse of it. And, for example, texting and email, and we're constantly on edge, checking, checking, 
and did this person respond? Okay, oh, I got to return this call. Oh, I got to return this email. Oh, I got to deal with this problem now. All of these things like that speed us up, raise our body temperature. I actually call it adjutants. And the other thing that adds to it as well is because of this technological sort of society we live in, we also demand instant gratification. We don't, Amen. Amen. We don't want to wait. Do we? No. And when we feel like we have to wait for something, it also speeds up this, speeds us up inside, raises our temperature, and because of computers, we expect perfection, don't we? Computers demand perfection. I'm Hakiki, I'm guilty of that poor Kiki has to work with me. I, whoo, I'm that guy. I demand perfection. But anyways, as you cry, brother, truth. You know, it's one thing to per demand perfection in our work. It's another thing to demand perfection in our everyday life because the world's imperfect. Yeah. And so we're all those things: perfection needs, gratification needs, the need to respond really quickly, all that raises our internal temperature, pushes up past that threshold, the fear response goes off, the more it goes off, like you said earlier, the more likely we are to get sick. Okay, interesting, interesting. All right, so now that we know that, one other thing I want to ask, it's also fascinating, my mind is running 100,000 miles an hour. So Mark, before we get into, because I want to spend the rest of the time talking about how people can lean in and how can, they can address it and fix it and be aware. But would you, this is my own personal question, is what you're talking about and the idea of addressing, it could be a good bridge, is that where cognitive dissonance comes in, right? Cognitive dissonance, the idea is I start assessing it and I'm very uncomfortable with what I'm getting for an answer. So rather than lean into the comfort, I pull back and say no and create that cognitive dissonance so that I don't have to own this idea that I could be wrong or I could be at fault or I could be not who I think I am. Absolutely. So cognitive dissonance, which you're exactly right in saying, is to justify our actions. And so the fuel, the catalyst for cognitive dissonance is the fear region of the brain. Exactly right. Man, I'm on fire today, dude. Fire. All right. So for those of you who don't know about cognitive dissonance, please, I beg you, go get this book. Mistakes were made, but not by me and read all that. It will blow your mind because we all suffer from it. It's one of those ones we all suffer from to a certain degree. It's the level at which we suffer from that causes the biggest problems. But, so okay, if that's the case, Mark, let's make a great segue. How do we solve for this? How do we keep our survival instincts from taking over and killing us? How do we get control of that? So here's the theory and here's, and then I'll tell you how we do it. The goal is to shrink the fear response. Instead of it taking up a huge space in the brain, we want to shrink it down to where it serves a real, genuine purpose. So what we have to do is increasingly expose ourselves to uncomfortable situations and develop what I call the discomfort muscle so that we can be increasingly uncomfortable without being fearful. That's, that's the the theory behind it. Okay, uh, this is big. Okay, so when you say expose yourself to things, you literally mean physically, right? So 
keep going. Give some examples of things in the let's start with the workplace and then personally and then another place. Give some examples of of specific things people can do to shrink the fear response. Yeah, and remember, discomfort is not just physical, it's emotional. In fact, emotional discomfort is far more uncomfortable than physical. And I'd like to give an example uh, that if you had a fence and this fence was being pushed back and forth by huge gusts of wind, where would it buckle? Where would it buckle? In the area, of course, that is the weakest link. And that weakest link in all of us is an Achilles heel. We all have it. For some of us, it might be rejection. Some of us, it might be being judged harshly. Others, it might be just that we are isolated. Uh, no one cares or unloved. And all this, this kind of emotional discomfort pushes the fear button as well. And that's the key. So we can build ourselves up so we are physically tough, but it does nothing for helping us cope in emotional, psychological, stressful conditions. Uh, part of my job at UCLA is to train the athletic teams. And these, these are like elite athletes. They are amazing athletes, so physically powerful. But my job is to train them so they perform well under pressure and competition because what happens is when they feel like, oh, my God, I have 10 seconds to make this shot, and if I blow it, the team loses. That is emotional pressure. And so if they can handle that, it doesn't matter how physically in shape they are, they will fold and buckle. So we want to do both here create physical discomfort and emotional discomfort. That's how we build up the discomfort muscle. All right, so let's start with the emotional. I'm your average everyday salesperson, right? I'm the average everyday leader. I'm the average everyday worker. Where do I try to become more emotionally uncomfortable? Where is, so I have a saying, I, I have a saying, I've created a meme, right? Failure and discomfort mark the boundaries of your competence. And I say most of us try to live as far away from those boundaries as possible. We try to avoid being comfortable, we try to avoid things, we get in the middle. But if I start pushing out, I start getting uncomfortable, and I start failing, right? How do I do that emotionally? Where should they go? What should they do? We, we, you've said this several times, we have to shrink the fear response. So what should I do? Like emotionally, where should I go and how should I do it? I like to start a different context than the one that is the problem. So let's just say, for example, the problem is in being able to uh, make a sales call. Let's say, let's say that's the problem, or a conflict with a, a coworker or a boss. First, I'd want the person to sit down for a moment and write down what is the fear. Oh, you know, I'm a fear, fearful that uh, my feelings will get hurt. But go down a step further. What does it mean to have your feelings get hurt? I mean, what does that mean about you? Oh, maybe it means that uh, I'm not a good person. Well, okay, so what does that mean? Uh, it means I'm not likable. Well, okay, so then if you're not likable and someone doesn't like you, uh, what does that make you feel? Well, that makes me feel like I'm a bad person. Uh, I'm, I'm inadequate. 
Okay, if you're an adequate person, what does that mean? Well, it means that I'll, I'm going to be alone all my life. I'll never make money. I'll be a failure. Uh, I'll be like a, a out in space without a telling. Find out where that goes, because that is the Achilles tendon right there. That's what we want. So we want to identify what that is. So now we're going to take that issue and have it play out in a different context. First, we can start out in a very simple way. There's many ways. I'll, I'll give some examples. There may be some people who are listening that struggle with food. Maybe they're overweight. Maybe they want to lose weight. And they tell themselves, okay, I'm definitely not going to have those desserts after dinner. Or I'm definitely only going to eat half of what I normally eat. And people will find themselves getting very uncomfortable. They'll find themselves getting a little bit anxious. Anything that puts them in a physical state of discomfort will push that emotional issue after a while. So it could be being hungry. It could be being really tired. Like I have my students come in starving. They are so irritable. They are so cranky. They're so easy to get angry. Or I have them come in totally sleep deprived. I have them come in very, very physically compromised. Then I push this Achilles heel in each one of them. I push it. And then at the same time, I'm pairing it with what I call a frequency. I, it's, I use a type of hypnosis that I developed. It's a frequency that blocks the fear response. So in other words, I make them physically uncomfortable, I make them emotionally uncomfortable, and then I pair it with this other frequency. It stops the fear reaction in the brain. So then they learn through conditioning and practice, hey, I can feel physically uncomfortable, emotionally uncomfortable, and nothing bad will happen. Now, for your listeners that don't have that sort of kind of hypnosis frequency, I like to have people do things in other contexts they're challenging. For example, if we're dealing with rejection or feeling like embarrassment, have someone take an acting class. Oh, yeah. Amen. Improv. How about improv? Uh, I like those a lot. That puts people on the spot. They're being judged. Or I like to have people who are scared of dancing to go up and dance in front of people. Okay, so let's say I'm scared of cold calls. Or I'm scared of negotiating, right? I'm scared of I'm scared of reaching out to someone. Or I'm scared of negotiating and, and and saying no to a low deal because I'm afraid I'm going to lose the deal, right? What would you do? How how would you do that, right? So I'm afraid I'm going to lose the deal, so I'm going to say no because then if I lose the deal, I'm a bad salesperson. I'm a bad salesperson. We're not going to make any money, and I keep going down there. What do I do there? How, how what would you do in those situations? I would again have someone practice being uncomfortable in a different context. First, I start easy, but if it's an issue of, you have to define what that is, is an issue of uh, acceptance, is an issue of feeling smart enough, is an issue of being not good enough. We, we have to identify what it is. But let's just say it's an issue of uh, just straight rejection. Then what I would do is have them go out in other social situations and have them ask people questions, people they don't even know. 
bring up ideas to me. Have you ever considered this? Even bring up politics, which is a very charged issue for anyone. Bring up religion. No, oh, I'm good at that. Not afraid there, that's for sure. Smart <laughs> issues, aren't they? They give people questions. I love someone taking an acting class because that really puts people in an uncomfortable place. So once we find out that we can say things and do things and be uncomfortable and nothing bad will happen, it very often generalizes to other contexts to where we want it to happen. Okay, so so I think people are seeing a theme here, right? And and I want I want you to expound on this a little further because it's interesting. It's almost cyclical, cyclical, cyclical. I messed that one up. It's look. I need to my because I'm uncomfortable. My survival instincts kick in, and again, folks, we're talking about your survival instinct is killing you by Mark Schoen, fantastic book about how our primitive survival instincts are in overdrive now that we're in this completely safe world and we're looking for something to do, and what it's doing is, is killing you and preventing you from being successful and getting what you want. So the idea that says, okay, because I'm uncomfortable, it kicks in this, this survival instinct that tells me to run and hide. But to fix it, I have to actually get uncomfortable, which in the beginning is going to trigger that, and I have to fight it. So what you're basically telling people is they're going to have to jump into the pit. They have to jump into the arena and fight. Well, we want to do it gradually, though. I'll, I'll tell you what I mean. Like most of us accept implicitly, don't we, that if we're exercising, that some pain leads to gain. So when we're uncomfortable exercising, we think, oh, look at this good. I'm getting something good from this. But when it comes to emotional discomfort, we're, we don't apply the same rule. So what we have to do is do it very gradually. So we don't just jump into the hot pit right away. We just do it more gently. If someone is really averse to being uncomfortable, then I have them start slowly. Like one, that's like one of why, one of the reasons I have my athletes come in hungry is because that just kind of starts them meeting me in an uncomfortable place because everyone's been uncomfortable before. So I tell people, hey, you know what? I'm going to have you skip breakfast and lunch. And they're going to get uncomfortable. They're going to learn that, oh, you're not going to do that. Some people will be afraid. Some people will think, oh, my God, I'm going to starve or I'm going to pass out. Or, I'm going to have a panic attack. Or, it pushes those buttons. And then I'll push the ante a little bit more. I'll say, okay, next time I want you to come in hungry, and I only want you to get three hours of sleep. So I keep raising the ante. Sometimes I have them come in with those, and I put super loud, launchy, heavy metal music. Pound it. So I keep raising the level of intensity. And if all that is still intense, then I start with something very small for people. Hey, just drive a different way to work. Listen to a new kind of music. Talk to someone that you wouldn't normally talk to. Listen to a point of view that you never really listened to. Go out to eat somewhere that you've never liked that kind of food before. If you don't like fish, go someplace and eat fish. If you don't like sushi, go someplace and have sushi. We just start whatever level someone is capable of feeling. And then we pair it with something more comfortable. We could pair it with a, a relaxation tape or a meditation. I have a breathing technique that people, by the way, if you followers and listeners want to have a breathing te technique, I, I offer it for free on my website. 
and you pair it with the discomfort. So we're conditioning discomfort to be, again, not a threat. And then we just keep raising the ante till people can tolerate more and more. This is fascinating. This is really powerful because what, what, what I'm envisioning is, and it sort of brings us full circle toward the beginning. This, this survival instinct, I almost imagine, is like a bow constrictor. And the more I like limit my world, the less exposure I get to things, the less things I try, the less I push my comfort zone, it squeezes in. And so to get away from it squeezing in, I withdraw even more to get away from the discomfort and it squeezes in more and I withdraw even more, right? And the only way to get out is to push, is to push out. And as I push out, I have to live in that discomfort, whether it's a little or not, I have to live in that discomfort because if I don't live in the discomfort, then it's slowly but over time going to keep squeezing in. So the idea is, as you said at the beginning of the book, is you're going to have to eventually get comfortable being uncomfortable because if you avoid discomfort, it, it will just, what was discomfortable here, really big, is going to just keep coming in. You avoid that one, there'll be a new one. You avoid that one, there'll be a new one. You avoid that one, new one. Before you know it, the littlest things, someone cutting you in line, et cetera, make you uncomfortable. Is, is that a good summation? That's a great summation because at one time, like I said, right, discomfort was a good survival tool. Avoiding discomfort helped us survive. But in today's times, being able to manage discomfort might be one of the best survival tools we have right now. Ooh, managing, hey, Kiki, can you, can you tweet that out and put that out? Managing discomfort may be one of the best survival tools in the 21st century. That is phenomenal. Can you go a little more on that, Mark? And I don't know how much you blog, but if you're a blogger or something, dude, you need to write a white paper on that. You need to blog about that because that is a winning blog and a winning ebook, big time, big time. Yes, thank you. Yes. Because, you know, I should say one more thing about that is like, you know, most of us are, like we said, wired to stop discomfort in our lives. What we are talking about here, we're not interested in banishing discomfort. We're only interested in managing discomfort well. That's an important distinction here. And he or she who manages discomfort the best is the person that has the best potential to succeed in this world. Oh, that is People, that is your golden nugget. That is your goal. When you hear this podcast end, or you stop watching this on YouTube, that's all that should be in your head is how do I manage my discomfort? Do I run away or do I lean in? And have I built the coping skills? I hope that's the right word, the coping skills to be comfortable in that uh, discomfort and be able to manage my discomfort in a way that doesn't become debilitating or shrinking. Is that right, Mark? Yes, absolutely. You know, you'll hear people say a statement like, you know, what, you know, what something like if it doesn't kill me is what basically strengthens me. And it's not really true. You know, adversity for the sake of adversity solves nothing. The data shows it doesn't make people stronger. Ultimately, it weakens them in the long run. What we should be saying is well-managed adversity is that which helps me survive and become stronger. That's the key. Excellent, excellent, excellent. All right, so with that note, I want to move to questions. I know we had one um, 
anybody have a question? Anybody want to jump in? Um, who was it? Is he? Who was it? We have a question. Uh, Jr. Prophet Jr. Yes, Denver Prophet Jr. He had a question. Let's see if he wants to jump in, but until he does, you want to ask the question, Kiki? Yes. So he asked, Dr. Schoen, uh, so eating right and maintaining pH balance affects behavior. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, could you say, I can't hear Kiki very well. Can you say what you just said? Let me see if I can find it real quick here. Yeah, here it is. The question box. Okay, here it is. So, oh, I lost it just like that. It went away. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'll get it in the question box. Hold on. Here it comes. All right. So, does so eating right and maintaining pH balance affect behavior? Well, you know, eating and nutrition is not my strength, but certainly what we feel inside like i said earlier is a part of the equation that ultimately influences what we do so there is data to show that ph does influence health i know the data is not conclusive based on different uh, interviews and research presentations i've heard at the university but it it's true, you know, what we eat does influence inflammation. And the more inflamed we are, and the, the theory is, is that if we're acidic, we ultimately produce more inflammation. Then the more inflammation we have, the less comfortable we are, and our discomfort threshold then becomes exceeded, and then we don't reach our fullest potential. Fantastic. Okay, good stuff. So. Mark, what would you like to leave with people? What do you want people to walk away with? Just take a minute, two minutes, whatever you want, and deliver a message to everybody listening. What do they need to know? I think people will benefit from knowing that we are so much more capable than we actually feel. It's that it really is our ego. And I use ego not from a standpoint of arrogance or being overconfident. But the ego from a standpoint of thinking, we have to be a certain way in order to be okay or be acceptable or loved. And so we work so hard to maintain this sort of persona. And we work hard by trying to over control everything. What people think of us and what we do and what we feel and what we drive or what we wear. And by over controlling the world, we essentially make ourselves more vulnerable. And we, it creates this fear response even more in us because when we feel like we can't control the world, our fear response goes off more and more. And I think the ultimate goal for us to strive for is not to be driven and constrained by these primitive instincts for control or for safety which only hold us back to our primitive selves. These basic old instincts keep us from being who we can be. And the more we can move past these instincts and not let discomfort or these ego hold us back, we are capable of being all that we can be in a much bigger way to be able to function in a world 
with so much of our potential in goodness and happiness and health be a big part of our lives rather than something that's so small because it's contained by our fears of discomfort or our need to control the world. So my personal mission, mission is I would like people to develop, as they evolve, a greater trust, a greater faith that everything they need is truly within them. And it's only these primitive instincts that keep them from getting there. Boom. Well done, Mark. Well done. Thank you very much. I absolutely loved it. Kiki, is there anything you want to add? So just, I was wondering, you know, it sounds like you've worked with thousands of people. Um, have you found that maybe certain generations like millennials that have been exposed to this, um, like constant connectivity all their lives, are more affected or more impeded by their survival instinct or across the board? Well, Kiki, that's such a good question too. Yes, the, the, the quick answer is yes. I've, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I've been doing this 36 years and I can tell you that the amount of stress and stress symptoms in the millennial generation far exceeds that in the previous generations. The way I think of it is that this generation is far less resilient. And as a result, we need to teach this generation to be far hardier than it is. This is not in, in any way putting down any kind of intelligence or hardworking. No, this is a very intelligent, hardworking generation. Absolutely. And they've been pushed and driven and they have to jump through so many more hoops than I ever had to do. And so they're smart and hardworking and conscientious. But the downside is it's affected their hardiness and resilience. So they're much more vulnerable to the survival instinct, fear response, stress symptoms. Yes. And, and isn't that because they were protected so often? The whole mantra of the millennials was not to make them uncomfortable, right? The, the definition of the kid's uncomfortable, then there's something wrong with that. You're messing with his self-esteem, you're messing with her, her, her sense of self, and you're making her feel bad, or, <coughs> oh my God, excuse me, or making her feel left out, right? So we, we, started, we started constricting them right out of the gate rather than helping them expand, right? That is one part of it. The other part of it is the thing I referred to before is that because of all these technological advances, the texting, the perfection, the instant gratification, that is so much bigger part of this generation's lives. And you put those two things together and that discomfort threshold is far lower than it has been in previous generations. That is why I believe we have far more PTSD than we've ever had. Wow. Wow. There's reasons. I, I could show you the data and why that's true, but that's what's happening. All right. So here, here in closing, it's what I'm going to say. And once I say this, Mark, you have the last word. I know we tried closing, but you brought up some good stuff new. My take on this is there is no growth without discomfort. And there is no static state. There's no 
present stasis. Either you're shrinking or you're growing. You can't stay the same. So if you are not uncomfortable, you're not growing. And if you're not growing, you're shrinking little by little. And as you shrink, that is the survival instinct taking over. And like that boa constrictor, squeezing you and squeezing you. And you keep running from that discomfort to a smaller and smaller and smaller sense of self and you and capabilities. So if you find yourself comfortable most of the time, know you're in big trouble. Big trouble. And if you are uncomfortable most of the time, you know you're heading in the right direction and keep playing at those boundaries. Keep being uncomfortable, keep failing, and you're going to keep pushing out and keep pushing out and keep pushing out, and that's where the growth comes from. Is that, did I get that as a good summation, Mark? Anything you want to add, anything you want to send out viewers off with? I'd say that was terrifically well said. Absolutely. Like, it goes back to what I said earlier. The goal isn't to avoid discomfort. The goal is to manage it. See, here you go, everybody. This is it. We got some good one-liners here. A good life is a life lived uncomfortable. You can't be living life well if you're comfortable. So the very thing we're chasing is the very thing that's kicking our ass. So stop chasing comfort, stop chasing uncomfort, com uncomfort and get comfortable being uncomfortable. So with that, Mark, thank you so much, my man, for jumping in. We love it, folks. Today we talked about your survival instincts are killing you by Mark Schoen, PhD. You can find him on Twitter at Mark Schoen, PhD, uh, and MarkSchoen.com, I believe, or is it MarkSchoenPhD.com? You were correct the first time, MarkSchoen.com. MarkSchoen.com. Go check it out. Go take his test. I know what your score is. Like I said, I was 18. I think Kiki was a 26 or 27. We had some people over here. They're in their 20s. So, folks, go at it. Start pushing the envelope. Expose yourself to different things. Get comfortable being uncomfortable and watch your world change. So on that note, thank you, everybody else. This is The Word with Kiki and Keenan. And next week we have a good guest. And Kiki knows who it is. Who is it, Kiki? Or two weeks from now? Two weeks from now, we have... Another best-selling author, his name is Terry Fantastic, he's going to be here May 5th, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. He is a Phoenix people, number one best-selling author of Better Self-Help for the Rest of Us. So his goal is to help people harness better habits, focus, and flow to live better lives, have better careers, and better businesses. So... Of course, we're going to shift it into the fear of sales and entrepreneurship. But uh, we, we I'm sorry, but we can't hear you that well. Next time, let's do the headphones. Your feedback's coming in, so we, we okay. don't hear you that well. But uh, we heard better lives. Better lives. We heard that. That was good. Better, so, better self-help for the rest of us. Better self-help for the rest of us. There you go. Next week, or two weeks from now, you know what, every two weeks, in the word. So until then, next time, y'all, peace. I'm out.